Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Kiora and welcome to Our Changing World, Co Alison Balance Tene. This letter arrived in the mail out of the blue and it said that I've been selected off the uh, electoral roll. I was sent out a letter from uh, the university asking if I'd like to be participant in the citizen's jury. And I said, uh, mm, that'd be quite good and quite interesting. Earlier this year, 15 people in South Dunedin. Everyday New Zealanders like you and I were invited to be part of a citizen's jury. They agreed to volunteer two days of their time to discuss euthanasia, assisted dying and the end-of-life choice bill. This is a member's bill currently before the New Zealand Parliament, which seeks to give people with a terminal illness or a grievous and irremediable medical condition the option of requesting assisted dying. I know about euthanasia. I wasn't sure what, what I was really signing up for, but I was interested enough to, to think I'd like to be involved. I was interested in it because um, over the last few years my health hasn't been the best and it brings you to reality, yeah. What was it about it that interested you? The euthanasia, the bill itself, uh, your rights as a human, basically. I have had experience with people dying, yeah. Um, so I've had grandparents being put into palliative care as well and wanting to die. So, yeah, it was interesting as well having your own personal experiences and weighing up uh, whether or not, if euthanasia was an option, how it would go from there. So what exactly is a citizen's jury? Who organised this one and why? What did those 15 people decide and what happens with their decision? I was interested to know more. And in this special feature from Our Changing World, I'll be talking to organisers and participants in a University of Otago citizens' jury on euthanasia and assisted dying. Now to be clear, this is not a story about the definitions of and the arguments for or against assisted dying, although you will hear some of those. It's a story about participatory democracy, about considering and discussing sometimes conflicting evidence and opinion from experts and about trying to reach agreement on tricky moral problems. Professor Charlotte Paul is a retired epidemiologist from the University of Otago. She's one of the organisers of this citizen's jury. She's also chair of the expert steering group that provided advice and oversight. A citizen's jury is based on the idea that there's... Intractable disagreement generally in public policy. So we're talking about public policy uh, and about citizens as being agents in making public policy and that those disagreements might be due to a lack of information or um, a lack of opportunity to reflect on things or to disagreement about values. And that if you get people together to talk about those things, to learn about those things, then you might get 
a clearer picture. You might even get agreement on some public policy question, or you might understand better where the differences lie. Citizens' juries, or citizens' deliberations as they are sometimes called, had their genesis in the United States in the early 1970s. They've been used since in a number of countries to advance often controversial or divisive areas of public policy. They've considered everything from the regulation of hog feed lots in the United States to the future of electricity, obesity in Australia and abortions in early pregnancy in Ireland. Charlotte has been involved in several citizens' juries here in New Zealand and we'll come back to those later. Working with her on the current project is Dr Richard Egan, who works in health promotion at the University of Otago. It was his interest that kick-started the idea of this citizen's jury on assisted dying. I'm interested in death and I'm interested in the idea of us having the best possible death. Dying is something that everyone experiences and it's one of the last things that people really experience and remember of a person's life. Jessica Young is a PhD student at the University of Otago. Euthanasia interests me because it's one of those um, sticky moral topics. I love things that provoke strong reactions in people and I think that I want to understand why someone would wish to hasten their own death. Is it autonomy? Is it that they're suffering or they don't want to cause suffering in their family? And I think that this issue kind of cuts across society because it will affect everyone if we change the law. Um, And what can we do to add to that debate by studying euthanasia from the perspectives of the everyday person? What it came down to is that we thought that there'd been enough surveys. We know about 70% of the population from a cross-sectional survey will generally say that uh, they would like some form of uh, euthanasia or assisted dying or assisted suicide. But we don't know what's behind that. And the, the idea of getting together essentially 15 of our peers, just like a jury in a court, giving them the best possible information and seeing what they thought. You know, because people on both sides of this issue think that if people really understood this, they would agree with me. And that's what was behind some of these, these ideas. That was, was behind this deliberation process of thinking about, you know, if you had all the information about euthanasia, about assisted dying, what would you decide and why? Countries and states such as Canada, Victoria in Australia and Oregon in the United States already have legislation that allows medical assistance in dying. New Zealand is still debating whether or not to legalise it. Lucretia Seals' well-publicised application to the High Court in 2015 for a right to die was followed by a Health Select Committee inquiry that received nearly 22,000 submissions. The committee's report published last year made no recommendations, but said that the topic was very complicated, very divisive and extremely contentious. By the time that report came out, David Seymour's end-of-life choice bill had been drawn from the parliamentary ballot. It passed its first reading in Parliament in December 2017 and is currently before the Justice Select Committee. In a nutshell, it would allow someone over the age of 18 who has a terminal illness and is experiencing unbearable pain to request medically-assisted dying. The Select Committee has received a record number of submissions, more than 35,000. The report from this citizen's jury is also being put forward to the committee for consideration. 
Dr Simon Walker is a bioethicist at the University of Otago who's interested in end-of-life care. He was intrigued by the idea of a citizen's jury and what he thought it might offer to public debate on an often contentious topic. The value of a citizen's deliberation uh, is that it's meant to or intended to reflect the values of a secular liberal democracy where every person should have a voice uh, and an opportunity to discuss uh, any given issue that could affect them or, or society generally. The, the idea of deliberation is meant to be an alternative to perhaps what are more common ways of approaching uh, uh, policy disagreements where, um, which could be either bargaining or um, ultimately just going to a vote. So if, if we're relying on bargaining or voting, uh, it tends to be the case that uh, people who uh, speak the loudest or who are, who are best at negotiating will tend to win. Uh, deliberation it attempts to start with an acknowledgement that we're dealing with a complex problem and that different perspectives uh, may all have some legitimacy. There may be very good reasons for the, uh, the disagreement. Uh, so deliberation sets up a context where people with different views can have an open and honest and respectful dialogue uh, informed by whatever facts or arguments could be relevant to that issue. One of the key aspects of a citizen's jury is that participants are randomly chosen from the electoral roll. The 15 people who signed up for this jury covered a wide range of ages and had varied backgrounds, and not surprisingly, they came along with a range of opinions. At the beginning of day one, the jurors were each asked to consider the following question. It's the same question that's used in the New Zealand Attitudes and Values Survey, and they were asked to rank it on a scale from one, definitely no, to seven, definitely yes. Suppose a person has a painful and curable disease. Do you think that doctors should be allowed by law to end the person's life if the patient requests it? We found at that time that people were either in favour or somewhere in the middle, but only one actually opposed. Four of the 15 ordinary citizens who volunteered to take part in the jury agreed to talk with RNZ about the experience. So where did they stand? Peter is a retired stock agent in his 70s. When I first uh, went there, I had a sort of a preconceived idea likes of Helen Kelly and uh, Lucretia Searle, the, those court cases. And I thought, those ladies were very, very strong and were trying to do a good job. And I, I was sort of really on their side. Mary is a retail assistant in her 60s. I said I was against it. I suppose it because I'm, I don't know, I'm older and it's probably because I've nursed my mother and I couldn't have done that to my mother. I was there to the end with her. Arthur is a retired hotel manager in his 60s. Always have been for euthanasia. Uh, I've seen my parents both suffer a lot through it, so I've been plus a few other people. Sarah is a personal trainer in her early 20s. So I was in the middle, so I didn't really have a formed opinion on it because I didn't know enough about it. So with two in support, one uncertain and one opposed to a sister dying, Peter, Mary, Arthur and Sarah 
began with a range of individual opinions that reflected that of the overall jury. Their challenge was to see if, as a group, they could come to an agreement to support or not support a specific question. The question that we asked the jury to consider and deliberate on is, quote, do you think the law in New Zealand should be changed to allow doctors, under certain circumstances, to provide or administer a medicine to a person at their voluntary and competent request that will bring about their death? The jury took place over three days, and various experts spoke in favour of and against legalising assisted dying. We gave them a lot of information that they could read and about what was happening in other jurisdictions, about all the definitional issues. And then they heard in the first afternoon somebody talking about the current law in New Zealand and about palliative care in New Zealand. Then they had a day off and on the Friday they heard from somebody making the argument for and making the argument against a law change and then they heard from people with various different perspectives. Somebody who was a family member of somebody who had uh, wished the law to be changed, uh, who had died, somebody who spoke from a disability perspective and someone who spoke from a Māori perspective. And then the last morning was the deliberation. I think it's really interesting to see what reasons actually matter to people because there are, there are a lot of arguments in the literature in relation to euthanasia, but to see when it comes to actually hearing those arguments and deliberating together, what, what are the points on which they respond and, um, and they pick up and want to, to hear more about. So that interested me. And... It's curious to find out whether views will change after informed deliberation. There is this idea that um, we just tend to filter arguments in accordance with our existing prejudices or beliefs. Um, Interestingly, I don't think that's exactly what happened with our, our process. So what did happen? How did our jurors find the process? And what were they thinking as the various experts made their points? On the Wednesday afternoon, they had Dr Janie Winters who is a palliative care doctor. And she just blew my mind and knocked a whole lot of preconceived ideas out of, out of my mind as well. Uh, she said that the, the, the majority of all, all the palliative care practitioners that she knows are completely against euthanasia. And the fallacy about a big dose of morphine will tip you over, she said they can give up to 25, 30 times the dose and it doesn't affect, it makes the dopey but it won't kill you if it's been administered properly. So that changed my mind. The Maori part of it and the religious part of it, I believe their, their thoughts were more on the surrounding families rather than the, the individual themselves. Um, you know, if you're given six months to live, it's going to affect the family anyway. So why not leave it up to that individual to make that choice and see how they feel? In the afternoon, we had um, Shirley Searle. So is that Lucretia's mother? Yeah. Well, she was on video to us. And I don't think when she finished speaking, I don't think anyone in the room was going to speak. It was so compelling. She just went through what happened, the whole thing, the whole scenario. And um, 
you know, it was like it still cuts me up. And I nearly, you know, it's, it sort of nearly tipped me out. <laughs> she was the one who sort of really turned me, was um, how strong her daughter was, how strong she was, how strong the family were. And all she said all the way along was, um, you know, why should I? Why should I have to suffer? Uh, basically, was the bottom line of it all. That would be the telling point for me, I'm sure. In the middle, I was sort of swaying. Yes. I was sort of thinking, you know, about the suffering and all that, but there are drugs out there that can help people through it. There's the hospices out there. They do a wonderful job. And then we had Ken Joblin. Now, he came in, he's got a degenerate eye disease, and came in with a great big staunch-looking black lab as his pal. And he spoke on the disability thing, and he was completely against it. I really appreciated his talk. It was not only about euthanasia, it was about living life and how you should live and that sort of thing, and it was good. I had an inkling on the second day after listening to all of the experts and coming up with the arguments for and against, and then on the final day I was just sure of it. One of my main concerns is what impact it has on the doctors who, who uh, supply the medicine or, or the needle or whatever, that the after effects for them. That was one of my concerns, how it affects them. I'm Alison Balance, and in this Our Changing World special feature on RNZ, we are hearing about a citizen's jury into assisted dying. Before we find out what the jury decided at the end, I mentioned earlier that there had been two other citizens' juries held in New Zealand previously. Charlotte Paul was involved in both of them. The first one was actually about uh, breast cancer screening, a very simple topic, really, compared with this. And we were in a situation in New Zealand where the experts and the advocates disagreed, and it was about the age of starting breast screening. This jury took place 10 years ago, when the debate was whether breast screening should start at age 40 or 50. We had about 11 uh, jury members who were all women in, in, that, right, in that age group. And the large majority were in favour of, of breast screening for women from 40 to 49 to begin with. And all but one were against it by the end um, as a public policy position. Uh, however, in New Zealand by that time, we'd started screening from the age of 45, which I think we still do, and they didn't think that we should change it. The second one was about the use of, if you like, medical records for medicine safety research. And that was done with my uh, colleague Leanne Parkin. In this case, actually, the law allowed the use of identifiable data for certain sorts of health research with appropriate ethics oversight, etc., etc. But the ethics committees had become very wary of 
allowing identifiable data to be used. And I guess that the ethics committees felt that they were standing in for the public. They were safeguarding the public. So we thought, well, let's go and talk to the public. This was essentially a discussion about personal privacy versus public good. So what happened? People were more likely to be against the use of medical records for research at the beginning, and basically they were really all in favour of it by the end. And one of the things there was that they hadn't realised that there were actually very good safeguards in place, and once they realised there was a sort of essential public good in knowing about the safety of medicines and that there were these protections in place, they became really positive about it. So in both these cases, members of the juries significantly changed their minds. All but one of the breast cancer jury agreed that the screening age should not be dropped to 40, while the second jury unanimously agreed that researchers should have access to medical records. So what happened in our jury and with our jurors? I said I was against it. And in the end, I was still against it. Despite some uncertainty along the way, Mary remains completely opposed. Arthur is still firmly of the opinion that assisted dying should be legalised. I walked in with a preconceived idea that it would have taken quite a lot for me to, to change my way of thinking. Sarah hadn't known where she stood at the beginning, but she says the process really helped clarify her thinking. By the end of it, I was for euthanasia being an option. Like, we consider New Zealand to be progressive and a democracy where you have, you know, you have your rights. And right now we thought we were sort of living in freedom from decision, whereas we wanted to sort of have that freedom to decide things. Like, like whether or not it's time to end your life if you are in unbearable pain or you're, you know, terminally ill. And there's no cure, so... What about Peter? Does he still hold his original position? I would have been for it. But as going through the process, my thinking changed. Did you think when you went into this that you might end up changing your mind the way you did? No, I didn't think I would. Like when I walked into that first day on Wednesday, I was sort of more in favour of than against and as the, as the days went on and listening to the speakers, um, yeah, it just changed my mind. Well, it might not have changed my mind, but it, it confirmed what I was really thinking. And I think more than likely it was um, Ken Joblin that really, when I think back on what he said... So he was giving the disability perspective. Mm. And he was scared that, you know, as soon as one, one step's taken... It's not hard for them to take the next and the next and the next. And you don't know where it's going to finish. So why not just leave it where it is? Sometimes when people approach this issue uh, from either side, they imply that it's, it's simple and the answer's obvious. I think one thing that our process showed uh, was that the issue is genuinely very difficult and that uh, those on both sides of the issue have um, good moral reasons for their position which can't just simply be dismissed. Remember that back at the beginning, most people on the jury had been more in favour of assisted dying than not. Only one person had opposed it. By the end, ten people were fully supportive of the idea of a law change to legalise assisted dying. 
five were totally against. I was a little bit surprised, but obviously some points got brought up where people were really concerned, both for the elderly abuse and the palliative care doctors administering it. That seemed to be a big one for the group. The jury was split 10-5, 10-4, against. But I think everyone was of, of the opinion that even the ones for it, that the safeguards that had to be written into it were very imperative. I think what the citizens' jury has um, made me realise in as a team that how do you weigh up the community harm with the individual choice? So they didn't come to an agreement and they didn't come to a compromise, which is what we'd thought might happen. Um, and in fact, the facilitator said she thought compromise would have been very unlikely, even with lo- a longer time. In fact, what happened was really interesting was that I said at the beginning that there was only one person who was definitely against legalising assisted dying at the beginning, but at the end there were five or a third of the people were against it. That seemed to come about actually during the deliberation itself. On the other hand, there were people in the middle and towards favouring a law change, and those people, except for one, actually all moved towards being very much in favour of a law change. That was one of the most significant findings, I think, of the citizens' jury, is that people clarified what they thought. In most cases, it clarified their original position, but very interestingly, with four or five people, they changed positions. Those two things make it look as if people were irreconcilable. But in fact, the other thing that was interesting, and we partly owe it to our facilitator for showing us this, that people listened to each other's point of view. There was a sense of sympathy and understanding on both sides, which developed during the process. And in fact, our facilitator said that it went from being quite a uh, difficult conversations to a humane discussion. The facilitator was Jennifer Anderson, She's a barrister who is also the University of Otago's mediator. The jury members took their job, their role, so seriously. And it was a difficult task. There was, it was quite tiring, listening for the length of time that they did and then deliberating. The good thing about them, though, is that when they were in that room deliberating, they were doing it in an interested fashion. They were careful. OK, you, you have different personalities and that requires a degree of juggling to try and ensure that everybody gets heard. But they shared their information and sometimes that included sharing some personal stories. But overall, they were thoughtful, they were considered and they really applied themselves. And for me, probably the most telling moment was when... Those who were against any form of change that summarised why they were opposed and the people who were for change absolutely acknowledged their reasons and said they agree with them, they were concerned about those things as well. And in that moment, it wasn't a for or against debate. It was very much a human debate. People who had differing views but underlying that they had respect for what was 
such a challenging and complex issue. So what's the outcome of this citizen's jury? It'll be written up as a paper for a scientific journal, but the initial result is a report that will be put forward to the Justice Select Committee, along with the 35,000 other submissions on the end-of-life choice bill. It's not simple to think what our results show to begin with because we hoped we might have a straightforward answer and we don't. But I think that the views of people who are both for and against a law change have to be taken seriously. And we want to make sure that the Select Committee understands that there are both those in favour and the arguments for why they might be in favour of a law change and those that are very cautious about it, very worried about it and uh, what their arguments are. Both sides need to be taken into account. While a citizen's jury has its strengths and its weaknesses, both the jurors and researchers think it's a valuable way of eliciting well-informed, considered community views. It was very encouraging to to see that this group of people was able to have these discussions um, in a respectful and uh, in a rigorous way, uh, even in the in the presence of a sustained disagreement. They continued to work productively together. Uh, that's actually uh, very encouraging. It was a real joy to learn um, about the process and just how participatory it is, and the fact that you know just mm. a random person could be picked off the street, educated about the issue, and then. Mm their voice taken seriously. How did you find the whole process of the citizen jury? Did you enjoy it as a process? Yes, I did. Yes, and I met different people from different walks of life. And, yeah, it was good. Gets you out of that little square that you live in. It, it was good. And I, I would like to do it again on a different subject, very much so, yeah. It's a very interesting process and very short. I kind of feel like it should have been longer, but um, I understand there were constraints. So, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole process. Everybody had their, their point of view across, which was quite good. Maybe the, the government should look, maybe look at using it instead of paying out for, for other things they're bringing in, instead of review committees all the time, get <laughs> yeah, juries in. I've never experienced anything like it and uh, I'm really, really happy that I have experienced it. Well, I suppose when you're just a sort of a normal person you don't get to have a say in what happens a lot of the time. You have one vote every three years, which normally is a disaster. So here was a chance we might have been able to put put a wee bit of thought into other people's heads. Hopefully we have. A big thank you to everyone who took part in the story, especially the jurors, Peter Springford, Mary Elder, Arthur Wade and Sarah, who asked not to have her real name used. The University of Otago Citizens' Jury on Euthanasia and Assisted Dying was run by Charlotte Paul, Richard Egan, Jessica Young and Simon Walker with help from Jennifer Anderson. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to listen to that story again, just head to our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. You can keep in touch on Facebook and Twitter, where we are RNZ Science. I'm Alison Balance. Bye for now. Matewa. 
the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.